0: THE VISIT One warm, sunny morning in late March 2013, I checked my email as usual for the daily updates and the meeting timelines, when I noticed that there in the middle of the bunch was an odd letter with the heading Vice Regal Visit. The email was sent from Government House, Victoria, just that morning, and requested me in simple terms to please arrange a Gulf Island visit of Her Honour Judith Gishan. "'the lieutenant governor of British Columbia. "'What?' "'Not being a royalist, "'I regarded governors of any kind to be anachronistic. "'So I tersely replied that to the best of my knowledge "'there are 410 islands in the Salish Sea. "'Which ones did her honour wish to see?' "'The reply confirmed that H.H. really wanted to visit "'the southern Gulf Islands. Could I do this?' "'A third letter then affirmed I had been selected.' To act on behalf of Main Island, four other people would each represent the other southern Gulf Islands. Okay. Next question. When will this tour take place? Answer. The 18th of April this year. Oh my God, that is in three weeks. As the emails honed in on the subject, I learned that I was expected to plan a minute-by-minute program for a nine-hour visit by the Lieutenant Governor. Her itinerary would begin on Monday with a visit to Salt Spring. The Penders on Tuesday, Galliano on Wednesday, and on Thursday morning she would arrive here on the 11 a.m. ferry from Sturdy's Bay. Would I be so kind as to meet the ferry when it landed? At this point it was hard to say no, so I asked the next obvious question. Why is she coming? I wondered if the Queen was concerned the islands might want to secede from Canada. The official answer was, she wished to visit the island communities and meet the people. Ah, that meant she was not interested in views and tourist sites. Confirmed. By my calculation, a nine-hour-long visit is 5,600 minutes. This was serious business. An event like this is a grand tour or an agricultural fair. This called for a crisis meeting of community leaders— representing key organizations to brainstorm the options. From there, I developed a program and a list of scenes with a coordinator for each one. Within three days, I had a draft show that included all the major community groups, the school, the RCMP, and the Gulf Island Water Taxi based in Ganges. The group met regularly, and I was required to send all this information to Government House Security for approval. That done, I was informed I was totally responsible for the safety of the vice-regal visitor, and that government house security would monitor every move by GPS and continual cell phone relay. I was pleased I had already engaged the RCMP in case there was an insurrection. The morning of April 18 arrived, with rain and wind. A final check with all the event leaders, and I made my way to the ferry terminal, where it was cold, wet and windy. The ferry was late. I had not planned this as an island experience, but what the hell, go with the flow. A half hour later, the Lieutenant Governor's limousine glided up the exit ramp, with flags flying, and pulled over next to where I stood. At which point, Naval Lieutenant Jamie Webb, C.D., Honorary aide de Camp, leapt out of the front passenger seat, shook my hand, and told me to get into the back seat next to the Lieutenant Governor. This was going to be a cosy affair. A nod from Jamie and driver Military Private Makani sped off down the twisting road. Her honor was very gracious, and we chatted amicably. Given that we were late, the first stop at the Japanese Memorial Gardens would be brief. Lieutenant Webb relayed this information to HQ. I, I should add, this was not your average limo. The car was luxurious, to be sure. The back of the front passenger seat folded down to make a royal desk, complete with cell phone and laptop, that H.H. was using to refine her speeches. Another phone on the dashboard allowed Lieutenant Webb to make continuous conversations with H.Q., and he had his own laptop on a pull-out tray from the glove compartment. Guns were located in closed pockets on each side. A little due diligence had earlier revealed that before becoming Lieutenant Governor, Judith Guichon lived near Merritt, where she ran the family cattle ranch. According to the official documents, she was very active in the community. She sat on the hospital and other community boards, was an expert horse rider, and played the clarinet in a dance band. In the back of the limo, she confided to me she had never been to the West Coast before, so this was to be an adventure. I crossed my fingers in the hope she would not suffer from culture shock. The blowing rain was certainly a far cry for merit, but it did not appear to bother her in the least. Two minutes later, we drew up at the gates of the Japanese Memorial Garden dedicated to the Adachi family, who, along with other islanders of Japanese descent, lost all their land and property in World War II, resulting in a 35% drop in the island population. The volunteer gardeners were there in force as a welcome committee and guided us through the dripping forest. "'while well, the ecosystem was explained. "'At one point we were advised to "'please avoid stepping on the hordes of banana slugs "'stampeding across the path.' H. H. stopped in rapt attention. "'What is that?' "'She had never seen a slug before, "'much less one that looked like a fruit. "'At which point Gardener Liz, bless her, "'stooped over and gathered up a very large specimen in her hand, "'which she held up for close inspection.' That done, Liz carefully placed the slug on a soft bed of moss before she wiped her hands with more moss and then finished the ablution on the seat of her jeans. No time to linger, we clambered back into the limo for our next stop and lunch. Heidi, my contact at Government House, insisted this was a working visit to meet the community. So I had invited representatives of all the major societies and service groups to each send one member for an informal lunch where they could share their stories of success and relate the challenges about life on a small island. All the southern Gulf Islands boast a population of very creative and inventive architecture. This was our one opportunity to experience the often eclectic and alternative architectural creations of the islands. Some years before, Michael and Jessica had purchased an earth house, recently constructed by Aaron, a local contractor. This was not your average home. Aaron made clay walls three meters thick with his backhoe. He finished the inside and out with cob, before placing an entire cedar tree, complete with roots, across the center to serve as a ridge. As one large living, sleeping, entertaining, washing and cooking area, this was a cave with beautifully finished floors and furniture. Her honor was entranced. The giant dining table looked like it had been borrowed from a hobbit hole. It was surrounded by high wooden chairs, where I imagined to see rows of dwarfs bobbing their beards and muttering in low voices. Instead, twenty-two of Maine Island's finest stood and clapped a royal welcome. A hot-catered lunch by Bernadette's grown-on Maine was served in place, while the delegates introduced themselves and their responsibilities. This was a business meet-and-greet, scheduled for two hours. The conversation was serious and constant. H.H. came out with her head spinning at the level of engagement from such a tiny community. What was also surprising was the number of delegates that emerged wide-eyed with wonder. I had no idea this was happening in our community. We should do this every year. Thanks. The next two stops on our rain tour was the Fire Hall and Health Center, where the professionals turned out in full gear and smiles. The firefighters stood proudly in line in front of their state-of-the-art equipment and tried to explain how it all worked. Harano was particularly intrigued by the replacement protocols for the tanker and the pumper trucks, indicating her wish to buy a used tanker for her ranch when the next replacement became necessary. Fire Chief DeRussi took notes. An equally short stop at the health centre highlighted the new emergency room, where her honour did what royalty are supposed to do. She cut the ribbon in celebration of completion. Then followed a stop at the school to meet the primary and junior grade students with pomp and ceremony, mounties in red jackets and a few laughs at the absurd lyrics of the British national anthem. Her honour gave a short speech about ranching and governing, followed by a few questions. None of the kids wanted to be first, so the Q&A began with dead silence, until a couple of teachers prompted questions from a very few shy children who whispered, How did you get this job? Who is looking after the ranch? But best of all, I, I forgot what I was going to say. We continued on under a light, steady rain that her honor appeared to enjoy. Chatting in the back of the limo, she said, When it rains at home, we all rush outside and celebrate. In dry summers, islanders have been known to do that too. We slowed down by the new community centre, and then on to the honouring figure in Emma and Felix Jack Park, where H.H. met with John, the resident artist and carver, filmmaker and educator. On rainy days, islanders tend to stay indoors, but the intrepid lieutenant-governor waded through the wet grass to engage John about the meaning of the figure. By now quite wet, the entourage motored on past the new library in Miners Bay to St. Mary Magdalene Church, where she was greeted by the loud strains of an organ rehearsal by Mary, and a short history of the old church by the reverend and venerable Ellen Willingham. Returning to the viceregal chariot, her honour then drove through Miners Bay Village, past the old agricultural hall, and onto a and b for a quiet hour of rest and relaxation. A nine-hour continuous schedule is enough to daunt an athlete. So an intermission was called for. Initially, this was scheduled as a two-hour break. The lieutenant governor was now limited to just over one hour. Tourist accommodation occurs on all the islands, and I had had at hand in the construction of this lodge, now a quiet country retreat, so I asked the new owners if they would accommodate a royal representative. Julie and Richard were at the door to welcome their short-term guest with tea and cakes and quiet. It was not long after tea was concluded before I returned to guide us to Act Two of the visit. Thinking of children brings to mind the reality of island living. How many children around the world can boast that they go to school by water taxi? Would HH be interested in meeting the high school students when they return from Salt Spring? Government house security had no qualms, so a few phone calls to Bob, the owner of the Gulf Island water taxi, confirm the time of arrival of the 48-seat graduate at 5.15 p.m. at the Miners Bay dock. "'Parents would be there and we could take the official party "'down onto the lower floating deck. "'That would be a real island experience. "'Just before I left home that afternoon, "'Bob phoned me to say it was raining and the wind was still blowing. "'The water taxi, explained, is sometimes pushed by the wind "'into making a hard landing at the dock. "'Maybe it would be better if everyone stayed up on the main dock and had a meet-and-greet at the top of the ramp instead. No problem, Bob. Thanks. We'll do that. The four of us in the limo arrived at the dock at 5.10. The two RCMP officers in red surge were standing at the head of the dock, chatting with the waiting parents. They made the introductions and shook hands, the RCMP saluted, before we walked along the dock to the top of the ramp. The umbrellas demonstrated their inability to work in a wind and the two officers offered to stand guard against the weather to shield her honour from the rain, at which point it was their turn to hold on to their broad-rimmed hats or lose them in active pass. After a few minutes' wait, a rooster-tail of water identified the graduate, hurtling across the whitecaps, and a minute later a grey hull came into view. Everyone was watching with interest, as the vessel slowed down and came in for a final turn, when suddenly, wham! A wave caught the hull, and the gradu smashed against the dock, causing it to tip violently like a cork in a toddler's bathtub. The dock rocked like never before, first one side, then the other, again and again and again as though pushed by a giant invisible hand. Without handrails, no one on that float would have been left standing. The float dock was still rocking wildly when the kids tumbled out and made their way toward the ramp. My head was still filled with images of the Lieutenant Governor, the Naval Lieutenant Webb, and two RCMP officers in Red Surge all paddling in the salt truck. Now as I write, I can still visualize those two wide-brimmed Mountie hats, tossing in the surf as the small party dragged itself to shore. My mind raced with the potential consequences—the news media, the stories, the reputation of the island as a safe and happy place. Where in the world could a royal representative, the military, and the police all be tipped into the ocean together? Part of the essence of island life is a close relationship with salt water, but not that close. It almost happened, but it didn't. H.H. spent the next few minutes greeting and shaking hands with about twenty bewildered students as they puzzled about who this lady was. Then, leaving the dark, turned into a photo op. The parents wanted photographs of their children with the lieutenant governor and the RCMP. Smile, everyone, and then we left for the next and final stop. Her honor could not leave the island until the late ferry to Saturna, sometimes after 9 p.m. That meant we had to arrange dinner. Now, a collective island dinner is called a potluck party. Could we turn the vice-regal dinner into a celebration with music and dancing? Government house said, yes, that would be fine, as long as we could ensure that H.H. was escorted to the ferry on time. A celebration it was. We would show the Queen's representative that islanders know how to live well, and we could have a party for everyone. The islands are renowned for their collective artistic genius, and Maine is no exception, so committees were set up to organize food, furniture, decorations, music, entertainment, and the clean-up. So when her honor walked through the doors of the school gym, it looked like Ali Baba's cave from a thousand and one nights, with about a hundred and fifty people in attendance. Everyone stood while her and the RCMP marched up to the head table to the sound of bagpipes by Piper Don. A formal introduction was given by Sheila, the chair of the Islands Trust, who congratulated H.H. on the occasion of her tour by presenting her with a map of the island's. Young Grace presented a bouquet of flowers and then followed a few short speeches before the important part, the food. Pat and the catering committee had arranged two long banquet tables in parallel, loaded with food, so four lines of people could move through simultaneously. Her honor was stunned, and so was I when she acknowledged she'd never been to a potluck before. Potlucks are so common on the island, we assume everyone has them. The menu featured dishes to suit all tastes. The vegetarian, gluten-free, salmon, local veggies, spicy, not spicy, an array of cheesy dips, and wild island venison. By now the band was playing and the hall was filled with chatter. Naval Lieutenant Webb and the military driver sat with the local RCMP. Constable Davies and the Garlang along so well that the driver Elizabeth was persuaded to quit the military and become a cop. Liam and Don maintained a steady stream of music, pausing now and then to accommodate a solo artist. Annette sang Grohide in honor of H.H.'s ranching career. Nan sang pop songs. Two teenage girls, Shay and Haley, were thrilled and excited to perform before the Queen's representative. They chatted and they sang, and they closed by presenting her honor with a gift certificate for free riding lessons. Stephen sang classical arias, and the island vet and concert pianist Elizabeth played a medley of classics that included Claire de Lune by Debussy. Their music was sublime. H.H. cried with happy tears. She said later, her mother had been a concert pianist and frequently played Claire de Lune. Janine then hammered out a rap poem she had written especially for the occasion, then followed a contemporary dance solo closing with Celtic folk songs by Lale and Gale. If the lieutenant governor came for culture, the island served it up in buckets. Then came speeches, a few silly jokes by me, and then the serious by island trustee Janine describing the local politics. Then the band turned up the volume to signal time for dancing. As protocol would have it, I asked H.H. if she would like to dance. We tried to waltz, but she was not a good dancer. So we quickly transitioned to a walk-around to meet and greet all those who wanted to shake the Queen's hand by proxy. Parading around the hall, she viewed the fabulous display of art, paintings and carvings and ceramics, stunning quilted tapestries by Judy, and an architectural glass by Bill. By now it was getting late, and I was cognizant of the time. Lieutenant Webb kept pointing to the basketball clock on the wall. Time to go. But all was not done yet. The lieutenant governor wanted to make another speech. She didn't want to leave, and she said so. Finally, she made her pre-penultimate thank you. That's the one before the one before the last. Then, as we headed to the door, a group of drummers set up the hall rocking with syncopated rhythms. H.H. was mesmerized. She'd never heard anything like it before. I was tempted to ask what kind of community did she come from that does not have potluck dinners and drumming circles? I bit my tongue. All in all, for the three-hour event, H.H. was presented, with a bouquet of flowers, a map, a certificate for free riding lessons, and an island history book that she could read on the ferry home. By this time, the limo was right by the door with the motor running, and Jamie was beside himself with the looming threat of missing the ferry. The RCMP, blessed them, offered to help clean up, so our military driver hurtled through the dark and wet streets as though responding to a bomb attack. The ferry workers and crew were expecting us. When driver Elizabeth stopped the limo to let me out, the Lieutenant Governor and Jamie leapt out, too, to give me a big hug. Hugging is what islanders do, it's a good thing, but never in my life have I been hugged by a vice-regal representative, or a naval officer. All this time the ferry workers were standing in the rain, waiting. They held the ferry for the limo and the gates closed gently behind her honor as they sailed away. Sometimes it's nice to have connections in the right places. When I returned to the school hall, the place was buoyant. The event was a success. We impressed the lieutenant governor of British Columbia and had a community party at the same time. I went home for a very large scotch.